There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix on the 19th of May 2010. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, bookmark all the, the pages you see up there for the alternate sites because I'm, I've got problems right now with the, the com site. And if you bookmark this, these other sites, you can always download the latest shows as time goes on. That's if I can get to use them too because I'm getting problems not just with uploading through the server, but I'm getting problems from the different sites themselves and providers. So that hopefully will be taken care of over the next week or so. While you're in there, you can see the archives. There's hundreds of audios there. Make use of them while you can. And uh, I try to fill in the big blanks in history and the present blanks that you're not given by the mainstream media to show you how you're simply living through a script a script planned long ago and played by all parties because all parties really take their orders from the same source towards a common goal which they're bringing into place right now. And I'll be talking about that tonight. When you're on the site too, see the books I have for sale, the CDs, DVDs, and purchase them because I tell you or show you in a certain technique how to deprogram yourself from your linear thinking because those who rule you uh, know and understand and are taught non-linear thinking. And some of them are actually raised that way. And that's why you, the people never benefit from anything that happens from the big boys at the top. We get bread in circuses and lots of shows, sometimes a change of faces, but it's all the same organization that they have loyalty to, and they're working towards the same agenda. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, if you want to order, use personal checks, they're acceptable here. International postal money order for your post office is acceptable from the U.S. to Canada. You can order through PayPal. Remember, just use a donation button and a separate email to me with your name, address, and your order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. And you can also use Western Union, remember, cash, or MoneyGram. And I'll get them out to you, as I say, as fast as I can. But tonight... I'm going to show you some of how this um, agenda we're going through works. You can't do an awful lot in an hour. That's the unfortunate thing. And um, there's so much history to it and so many names and organizations and connections and histories of the connections between the cooperating organizations that run our lives. Going way back so far, as I say, you would take volumes and volumes of just reading through them to understand them. And I have done a lot of this myself, over many, many years, and uh, what happens now is simply a new phase, and I'll be talking about what's happening in Britain right now with the election, what happened, and the what's declared in newspapers are the amazing new changes, amazing new changes that have to come into place in Britain. And I'll explain what these changes really are, because the media isn't really explaining what's behind it, who planned it 
or all the agreements have already been signed towards it. But to the general public it will sound kind of wonderful, kind of like a reenactment of the, uh, the, the hippie era, you know, where there was a, a sense of excitement and change generated by the media and even from government at the top and even from the conservatives such as the BBC, as they call them, which really is anything but conservative. It's internationalist. And I'll show you how this will all tie together, because because we are living through a script. Now, some people say to me, uh, it must be tough to prepare for the show. I don't prepare for the show in the way that you think. I don't uh, prepare what I'm going to say. I generally decide in the spur of the moment. So I'll be back with more on a particular thought that came into my head just at the start after this break. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Talking about the big changes that we're going through, and we've been going through them for a long time. In fact, our whole lives. And people don't even know what set up the start of the changes before they were born. It's not taught in schools. It's not taught in history. Because most of the real histories are omitted from general schools, special Ivy League schools and so on, tend to have them there, all the best books written by their own, all the associations and the players and so on. But uh, other schools uh, omit them altogether. Now, We've watched the amalgamation of Europe, for instance. We've had exposés on television in Canada about the integration of the Americas. Uh, in fact, it was announced on Canada in, in mainstream CBC. Uh, the, that's our version of the BBC in Canada, government-funded. And global television as well uh, by the Council of Foreign Relations' own staff, who are all ex-politicians who said that they drafted up the Integration Charter for the Americas to be signed in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And supposedly the last one is to be signed this year. And they came out openly for the first time, not as advisors to politicians. They, they came out openly as the Council on Foreign Relations itself. Now, in the UK, they have their own Institute of International Affairs because it exists under a royal charter as a private organization, as is the CFR itself. But they do place their members all through bureaucracies across the world and all through the British Commonwealth, and they put them through the U.S. government as well under the Council on Foreign Relations. Royal doesn't go down too well in the U.S. That's why they called it the Council on Foreign Relations. And... These guys work towards a world society. A world society they seldom talk to uh, about, at least to the public. And it's so intertwined, so intertwined with so many different departments, special departments working together towards a particular type of society. But it's, it will give the appearance of a socialist society. We've been going through the changes for that since the, really since the 50s and speeding up in the 60s, and then the massive welfare state part of it, then the plundering of the banks part of it, and the banks always stay supreme, because they will continue under the next phase as well, which is a commutarianism, it's called. 
communitarianism as an idea which is based, really, when you compare it to what uh, it looks like, is the Soviet model, where people live in their communities, you all participate in civic society, you do voluntary work when you're told to, and supposedly you get the right to decide what happens in your community. All sounds rather wonderful, but in reality, like the Soviet Union, it wasn't run that way at all, because you'll find the head ones are appointed or they're already trained for their positions, coming out from you, appearing as you, and taking over the leadership positions. You'll find groups like Common Purpose are doing this, and uh, I'm going to read an article here from the BBC and explain what this, what this is, what it means, and how this ties together. And this is from the 19th of May. It says, Nick Clegg pledges biggest political reform since 1832. Now, the coalition government there that happens in Britain sometimes where you can have two parties that were neck and neck and they share power for four years, so they're going to take five years run it at this time, it says here. And you have conservatives, supposedly, which are not conservatives, and you have liberal Democrats, which are not really liberal Democrats, working together here. So Nick Clegg from the, I think it's the Liberals, uh, is promising the public all this wonderful utopia. As his Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg has promised the biggest shake-up of our democracy in 178 years as he sets out plans for political reform. This is the, the Tory Liberal Democrat Coalition is proposing fixed-term parliaments and elected House of Lords for the first time, supposedly and a referendum on changing the voting system. Clegg said the government was not insecure about relinquishing control. The Liberal Democratic leader also called the public to nominate laws to be repealed as part of a power revolution. And you better look up these terms because you'll find these are little slangs and slogans that they use amongst themselves, and you will find they're out there, and you'll find how you can associate them with other much bigger plans and organizations. Mr. Clegg, who is overseeing the government's political reform plan, said he wants to transform our politics so the state has far less control over you. Sounds wonderful, right? And you have far more control over the state. He says this would include scrapping the ID card scheme and accompanying national identity register, all future biometric passports and the children's contact point database. Now, number one, remember, this is a politician who will tell you whatever you want to hear to stay in power and to pull the wool over your eyes. And I hope everyone's learned that by now. Doubtful, though. It will also ensure that the CCTV, all these cameras they have up, now listen to the terminology again, were properly regulated in future. What does properly regulated mean? Nothing. And the storage of innocent people's DNA is restricted. Restricted? Why shouldn't it be scrapped altogether? Clegg said Britain was once the cradle of modern democracy. We are now, on some measures, the most centralized country in Europe, bar Malta. What is the reality of that? Britain is locked into a European Union, is now one of the little minions under that union. doesn't address that at all. You see what's happening now is the next phase for all those countries in the Union. 
as you gave up your sovereignty step by step by step with integrating into the union. Now you go the next step as it transforms society into the term that George Bush Sr. used, commutarianism. The Deputy Prime Minister promised to give voters powers to recall corrupt MPs uh, and for an elected House of Lords based on proportional voting systems. I'm talking about the most significant program of empowerment by a British government since the great enfranchisement uh, enfranchisement of the 19th century. The biggest shake-up of our democracy since 1832, when the Great Reform Act redrew the boundaries of British democracy for the first time extending the franchise beyond the landed classes. It took World War I, actually, to get the vote in for the ordinary people. He added, incremental change will not do. It's time for a wholesale Big Bang approach to political reform. Now, remember, he will never touch on the same banking system that must always stay in place, that plunders you every couple of centuries, and he won't, he won't touch on that at all. He won't touch on the massive, incredible debt that Britain's carrying, and never paid off. Even if they could breed for another thousand years, they couldn't pay it off. He accused the previous government of obsessive lawmaking and pledged to get rid of the unnecessary laws and introduce a mechanism to block pointless new criminal offences. And in promise, remember, they promise, you see. Now, you promise something in politics, it's not legally binding, remember. I think, again, I hope people have learned that in their lifetime. As we ask the folks, supposedly, which laws you think should go as he tears through the statute book. And remember, the face of Britain has been utterly turned upside down in the last quite quite few years. Completely, the culture is in flux. It really doesn't have a culture now. That was the intention of Blair then Brown. And Blair, and I read the articles on on radio that uh, Blair told his, his next in command to, that he would change the face of Britain forever through mass immigration until they could never go back to any other way of thinking or doing. Mr. Clegg added, this government is going to persuade you to put your faith in politics once again. Well, sucker is you if you do. Then he says the difference between the Liberal, Democrats and Conservatives were almost impossible to spot when it came to wanting to decentralize power. You see, the plan, you see, if you go through the plan that the Royal Institute for International Affairs drew up when they wanted an integrated Europe, they wanted it based again on the Soviet ideal. They worked with the Soviets. And they also wanted to bring in it through, bring it in through stages. Until it came down to the local area where you'd find that, as I say, you're not only born as a citizen now with certain duties, which is to pay taxes and do what you're told, but you'll be born with certain community duties to do as well and lots of volunteerism and so on. And really it'll be a lot, lot worse because it's going even further through United Nations. One day, uh, in the next few years, you'll have your food rationed via the United Nations to your little community. And if you have bread above your capacity or quota, then you have to find ways of bringing that down because you ain't getting any more food. So, you read all this stuff and you go right down to the bottom. And there's a bit of backtrack on certain things as well. And they pretend they're not so pally as they really are. Because this is all planned that they get in together like this, this whole thing here. 
Now, another thing we didn't mention too was the fact that you see, Britain's got a strange parliament. Uh, the Queen is the ruler of the country. I'll put a, a link up here along with the other articles I read tonight. Go into the this, this site and you'll find them. And it's the opening of the, the parliament by the Queen's bodyguard of the Yeoman of the Guard. You see, they can't open or close Parliament without permission of Her Majesty because the government is Her Majesty's government. They can't pass a law without her signing it. Nothing really changes, folks. You just get shafted more and more under different guises. But they want your cooperation this time. Be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just mentioning that the, the Queen has to open Parliament and accept it or dismiss it and all this kind of stuff. And how everything and everybody in it swears allegiance to the Crown. That's the first oath they have. And everyone in uniform in Britain and its Commonwealth countries swears allegiance to the Crown. Not to the country in which they live or the people whom they're supposed to serve. So nothing really changes, you see. And because the same players always rule, they always rule. Same players, but their banks too, always rule. But I'll put this link up and you can see this incredible pageantry that they go through to open it up and all the different um, characters involved and uh, all the terms they use for the for the particular people in the procession, like the the red dragon and stuff like this. No kidding, no kidding. Yeah. This is from the official website on it. And they think they're going to be, you think you're going to get a change into some kind of, for the people, democracy. And where are they going with all this? As I say, they're, they're bound together under treaty, which takes away sovereignty a lot of sovereignty and the rights that we can do within your country. They're centralizing their bookkeeping system for the bankers because the bankers are in charge of all that, you see, and their central bank for the European Parliament. And the next step is the communitarian phase, which was planned, as I say, and talked about a long time ago. It's had different names. In the, in the 90s, they changed it again, the communitarianism. This particular article I'm going to read now is about global governance. And then I'll go on to communitarianism, because it all ties in from this site too, or many other sites out there. And it's from uh, Global Governance Watch. It's for it's a site that's put up for all those active in bringing in global governance and have been for a long time involved in it. Not the higher players, mind you. Remember, there's always the outer party and there's an inner party, as Orwell told us. And it says, The G20 and the International Monetary Fund officials institutionalize economic global governance. 20th of April, 2010. 
In particular, we are floating the idea of a new multilateral surveillance procedure. I believe the world is ready for a shift to this more systemic vision of IMF surveillance. A clear indication is the G20's launch of the mutual assessment process. The so-called MAP, MEP, aims to reduce risk to the system by making the world's largest economies accountable to each other for ensuring the global consistency of their economic policies. Of course, there's a much broader range of international policy challenges than those currently being considered by the MAP. So this, I see a role for the IMF to help address these kinds of multilateral problems. That was from Dominique Strauss-Kahn, Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, which is nothing but a front, really, for the World Bank, and it's the same few banking families that run it. And supposedly every government appoints a member to it, just like the UN. Exactly the same as the UN, in fact, has to swear allegiance to the organization and not to their country when they go there. So the group of 20 G20 nations, uh, they'll find the new Financial Stability Board and the International Monetary Fund are processing or progressing in two fronts, the monitoring of and revision of national and regional economic plans, national and regional economic plans to facilitate global economic governance and the pursuit of a financial industry regulatory reform agenda. Big shake-ups, all right. And here's this guy in Britain promising people are going to have some kind of wonderful participation in decision-making using the exact same system under a hierarchy of royalty who are intermarried with the banking communities. And we've seen what they do time after time after time. But don't forget, they were the same royal families who gave you the charter for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which was made up of the Cecil Rhodes Group and the Lord Milner Group, the Lord Alfred Milner Group were the bankers. And they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council of Foreign Relations, who work all over the world to bring in this plan step by step by step. They use all academia and they, they change culture in society through academia and the culture creators a generation at a time. Now it's much quicker. It's not, it's not 70 years. They can change it and upgrade it every two, three to five years. So we're on integrated monetary-wise now, and it's time for, since you've lost sovereignty, everyone's lost so- and losing sovereignty, it's time for bringing out communitarianism. When you look at the conservative um, liberal Democrat government coalition that put out something called Building the Big Society. They've come together with a driving ambition to put more power and opportunity into people's hands. We want to give citizens, communities and local governments the power and information they need to come together, solve the problems they face and build the Britain they want. That will be the day when the people build something they want. They get taxed on it. I'll be back with more and explain this to you and dissect it after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, reading this big society that's supposed to be brought in, uh, starting again with the flagship Britain. This is how it always goes, because Britain has always been the flagship for this uh, New World Order. And the the plans were hatched there too, in London, long, long ago. And Carol Quigley documented a lot of it in his book Tragedy and Hope. And his other one, the Anglo-American Establishment, showed you how the wars came about and showed you how these guys were behind the setting up of wars and of conflict for geopolitical reasons. Not only to change the world as such, but also to change societies and the cultures of the societies as well. But to go on with their big society and building it, it says, Only when people and communities are given more power and take more responsibility can achieve fairness and opportunity for all. Building the big society isn't just the responsibility of just one or two departments. It's the responsibility of every department of government and the responsibility of every citizen too. Government on its own cannot fix every problem. (laughs) Uh, I'll skip that part. But we're all in this together. There's this famous line right again from the movie Brazil, the comedy totalitarian movie which basically showed you a society of total centralization, all data collection and so on. And the slogans were everywhere. You're under a big war all the time against terrorists that no one ever sees. And the slogans are always, we are all in this together. You'll hear that through every war, you see. We need to draw on the skills and expertise of people across the country as we respond to the social, political and economic challenges Britain faces. This document outlines the already agreed policies, already agreed policies, eh, that we believe will help make that possible. It's the first strand of a comprehensive program for government to be published in the coming days, which will deliver the forum or the reform, renewal, fairness, and change Britain needs. So there, once again, they're telling you what it needs. Politicians are telling you what you need. Give communities more powers. Now, you better sit and think about that. Because remember what I said before, the blend that was to come out of the the Soviet uh, Western uh, Pact, according to Norman Dodds, was a combination of the two together. I've always told you it'd be a fascist bunch on the top, living high off the hog. You're all the hogs, of course. That's how they talk about us. And down below, the people live in the little communities where everything is shared. Also... If you go into it deeper, it would mean the end of all private property and private business ownership. You're, technically, your community is going to own all this stuff. But, of course, you don't see it in this particular little part here. It says, we will radically reform the planning system to give neighborhoods far more ability to determine the shape of the places in which their inhabitants live. We'll introduce new powers to help communities save local facilities. You see, so you will be left with the burden after building hospitals and all the rest of it and watching them being sold off. Uh, you'll be uh, given the burden of keeping them going. And if you can't keep them going, well, you're going to blame the government. They'll say, well, you're in charge of it, you people there. Well, you're just not producing enough. To That's your problem. Deal with it. Facilities and services threatened with closure and give communities the right to bid to take over local 
state-run services. The sharing of massive taxes locally. That means two. Of course, you'll still have federal ones as well. We will train a new, a new generation. This is the part that interests me because it's right out of the techniques and the, the wording of uh, the Chatham House Group, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, because their whole idea in every generation they've been doing it, you see, for 100 years, is to train certain people from childhood to be local and governmental leaders, as is the, the organization, too, that's called Common Purpose. So they'll train a new generation of community organizers and support the creation of neighborhood groups across the UK, especially in the most deprived areas. Encourage people to take an active role in their communities. Remember I told you one day if you don't turn up at a community event, they'll be coming looking uh, for you. What's wrong? Are you antisocial? I've said that over and over for years. We will take a range of measures to encourage volunteering and involvement in social action including launching a national Big Society Day and making regular community involvement a key element of civil service staff appraisals. You know, for years and years and years, they've been retiring federal civil servants and scattering them across the countries. And they start up the little NGO groups. They become rather big and popular. That's how your environmental groups got started, folks. By semi-retired or retired Stop civil servants across. It's happened here in Canada. I watched it happen. I followed them. I traced them. I watched what was going on. We will take a range of measures to encourage charitable giving and philanthropy. So you'll be blended in your communitarian groups with the George Soroses of the world, you see, and the Bill Gates and all these philanthropies, because after all, they're all part of the foundations that have always been the parallel government or worked for them and created the NGOs and funded them. We will introduce a national citizen service. A national citizen service. This initial flagship project will provide a program for 16-year-olds to give them a chance to develop the skills needed to be active and responsible citizens. So once again, you see, you're being taught there. You'll be taught as you go through these courses what kind of citizen they're talking about because they've already got a pre-mixed idea, a a um, pre-conceived idea. It'll be different from yours, I can guarantee you. Mixed with peoples from different backgrounds, you see, for the global society and start getting involved in their communities. It's going to be mandatory eventually to get any work if you're not involved in your community and you're politically correct. Remember, the Soviet means ruled by councils. Their charter sounded wonderful in theory. But of course, the big boys put on their own own leaders on top of the NGOs that represent you and your community and the people get the dregs at the end of the economy. Transfer power from central to local government. Promote the radical devolution of power and greater financial autonomy to local government, including a full review of local government finance. Well, how much of the debt are they going to slap on these emerging new little communities? Because they're not going to write that off. We'll give councils a general power of competence. We'll abolish regional spatial strategies and return decision-making powers on housing and planning to local councils. You'll have to be 
belonging to the proper cliques to get anything done, just like it was in the Soviet Union. Support, support co-ops, mutuals, charities, and social enterprises. Support the creation of an expansion of mutuals, cooperatives, charities, and social enterprises, and support these groups to have much greater involvement in running of public services. Give the public sector workers a few, uh, a few, a new right to form employee-owned cooperatives. You see, it's cooperative. That's how it's going to be, folks. No private business. And bid to take over the services they deliver. This will empower millions of public sector workers to become their own boss and help them to deliver better services or right. Use funds from the, do- the dormant bank accounts, dormant bank accounts to establish a big society bank which will provide new finance for neighborhood groups, charities, social enterprises and other non-governmental bodies, non-governmental bodies, NGOs, you see. Publish government data with a new right to data so that government-held data sets can be requested and used by the public and then published on a regular basis. Oblige the police to publish detailed local crime data statistics. They're already doing that in Britain, by the way. See, they're already underway with all this stuff before they actually come out and announce it. There's websites up in Britain where you can actually look into see the worst crime areas and what it is that day and so on. So the public can get proper information about crime in their neighborhoods and hold the police to account for their performance. You see? Commutarianism. And what do they stand for, communitarianism? Well, the NGOs have been formed long ago for them by, again, big foundations in the U.S., Canada, across the British Commonwealth countries and Britain itself. And it says, communitarianism, an idea and movement in politics, says this, with the demise of true socialism as a viable intellectual force, communitarianism is now the most active Philosophical opposition to libertarianism. Communitarianism is usually presented in a vague term, but it's usually, or probably best understood as a mild form of collectivism or democratic socialism. The theory is based on a two-dimensional political grid that rejects the one-dimensional liberal conservative spectrum. And then it gives you another site to go to where you can actually look further into it, but you also find it in the university sites as well. They uh, actually, they're against individualism. That's part of their manifesto. The individual is a problem to the, to the, to the world controllers, obviously. That's who's a problem to. That's why you're going to work cooperatively in co-ops for the community. If you want to know more about it, go back a few years to Alvin Toffler. You'll find Newt Gingrich was passing out Toffler's book called The Third Way to every congressman in the United States to let them know what their real mission was all about. The Third Way. Look into it yourselves. I won't do all the homework for you. You can do something for yourself, I am sure. And it says, in their own word, the Cometarian Network, the Cometarian the community network is a coalition of individuals and organizations who have come together to shore up the moral, social, and political environment where non-sectarian, non-partisan, transnational, transnational association. The community network investigates issues and policies such as the balance between rights and responsibilities in society, 
community justice, multiculturalism, the community's moral voice, and developing global society. What it actually is, folks, is the epitome of political correctness. To survive in these communities, you'll have to constantly update yourself in political correctness for what's right today, as opposed from yesterday and tomorrow. It says, Commutarian thinking is not an American import. Its roots sprout from ancient Greece and the Old and New Testaments. Well, each society must evolve its own commutarian answers. The challenges are similar. Man and woman do not live by bread alone. It's unwise to believe that we all need, all we need is economic rehabilitation. We require our daily acts to be placed into a context of transcendent meaning and their moral import made clear. And as various professors who've written books on it, quite a few in the U.S. as well. But that was the end goal of a big part of the manifestos set out by Chatham House, Royal Institute for International Affairs. And it's also what's really referred to as the century of change that we're now in. The 21st century was to be the century of change. And under all these ideas of apparent what appears to be on paper, like the Soviet, the Soviet Charter, um, unlike what it says on paper, it's going to be an absolute nightmare for people unless you literally rub shoulders with people all the time in your community and say and do all the right things, attend all the proper functions. Or, or else you have a new Stasi turning up to find out why you didn't, or the psychology, psychological team, backed by a SWAT team, to find out why you didn't attend these particular functions. Are you antisocial? And, of course, they use psychiatry in it in a big way, because the whole thing is about reshaping our way of thinking, and psychology and behaviorist theology, and they've already stacked all the universities with the right people through testing of these people when they were students who will also become teachers and professors to ensure that they teach. Because when you go into the science of propaganda and the science of mind control, when the, the top group wants evangelists out there amongst the public, you must create true believers True believers, only a true believing evangelist will be believed by the people he's trying to convince. And they have massive, incredible psychological tests. They've had them for an awful long time. It was the same test they used to pick guys for the CIA, designed by the same person, in fact. And they can tell every flaw that you have and every weak area that you have and where to bolster it and how to block your own personality from developing so you don't fudge your job. Perfect sciences. And then they go into the universities and teach the children. And then they in turn pick ones for likely candidates. So communitarian is simply uh, the next step after you amalgamate into and give up sovereignty to a centralized power of Europe. And uh, then it's your responsibility in your community, all of you in your community, to, just, to 
to make sure you can get by with food. Uh, the distribution of wealth and clothing and shoes and everything else down the road. That's what's coming down the road. And as time goes on in Britain, this will unfold there because the country is too broke, you see, just so incredibly broke that they can't pay off this massive debt. Everyone's got to sacrifice and really tighten their belts. And just like the Soviet Union, they'll have competitions between communities to see who's doing well in the propaganda papers, the British Pravda. And who the best workers are and what they've achieved and sacrificed to get and so on. That's what it's all about. Because you see, every election is rigged. The people are all chosen in advance. The parties are chosen. The winners are chosen all in advance. Always have been. Always have been. Those who ruled never, ever decided to let go of rulership and power any more than their relatives in the banking industry ever decided to let go their strangleholds of their corrupt system. And that's what they have to live through now in Britain. After all, Britain's the flagship, as I say. Some very good movies came out of Britain years ago. One was the Fahrenheit 451. And in it you see the regimented society, very much like George Orwell's, where the vans from the local government come round and order everyone out into their, their lawns, every member of the family, so they can be inspected and seen and so on, and they all obey quietly and do so. That, that sounded crazy when it came out in Britain, but it's not crazy now. We're back with more after this break. Alan Watt and we're cunning through the matrix just talking about the coming system which Britain's to spearhead and test pilot basically. The people in Britain always get the suffering edge of things to be tried on the rest of the planet that's just the way it goes and step by step they'll introduce exactly what I'm talking about here over a period of time and they'll keep their pulse on the public to see if they're ready for the next step and the next step and the next step with constant data collection quite easy to do and getting back to, this is all under global governance, you see. The whole idea was to end sovereignty of nations, bind them through treaties and alliances, initially through treaties to the UN, and then denationalize them as you decentralize uh, their power, at the same time centralize the governments into a central body like the EU Parliament that's now supreme over the whole of Europe, the whole of Europe with its own central banking system. Everything becomes a little colony around it. All those countries are now little colonies, you might say. You call them, like to call them regions. And that was a big plan to bring in the new feudal system. New feudal system, you see. They quickly talked about. The big corporations keep going. The big international, multinational corporations keep going. They're the new feudal overlords. And, of course, they'll also be negotiating with these little lovely communities as they do their basket weaving and so on, and trading amongst themselves, supposedly on theory at least. And 
going back to about Global Governance Watch, it tells you what they are. Global, Global Governance Watch is a joint project of the American Enterprise Institute and the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Its goal is to raise awareness about global governance, to monitor how international organizations influence domestic political outcomes, <laughs> and to address issues of transparency and accountability within the United Nations related intergovernmental organizations, which are IGOs, and other non-state actors. And then it tells you the four, uh, the four pillars they base it on. The usual stuff, human rights, environment and health. Environment and health, very important, environment. Law and sovereignty and economics and development. And they got a lot of stuff on their site about various topics and so on. And their whole point is this, is, this site is for the non-governmental organizations uh, to follow and who to lobby and all the rest of it, you see. This GGW also promotes transparency and accountability in non-governmental organizations, NGOs, on the NGO Watch section of its website. NGOs are key influencers of governments, corporations, and international institutions. Well, and you thought, why were you voting all these times? Well, who, what are you voting for if uh, these, gov- these little organizations, these thousands of them, this thousand points of light, as Mr. Bush referred to them, uh, were actually making the decisions for their masters, of course, who fund them, the big foundations, who are owned by the big bankers. As NGOs address critical issues, human rights, environmental protection, and poverty reduction among them, and often receive funding in whole or part from governments, it's amazing too, your tax money funds these guys too, because they call themselves charities and non-government organizations. It's important that they are encouraged to embrace the same standards of transparency and accountability that they demand from governments and corporations. Well, that will be the day, because they've been liars since they were set up. All these NGOs were. All these NGOs. And if Jesus Christ came back tomorrow, he set one up to get back to the truth, or at least some decent way of living, when you're left alone. They'd have it taken over as soon as he turned his back. From Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, is good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. 